What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Kobe Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with a right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chickens. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your labrum and you can go on the... You know what? (laughs) It's only a game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer... To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. Ladies and gentlemen from Northeast Ohio and beyond, this is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk live from the University of Akron. My name is Jake Murren. I missed you all last week, and I am back as your host today. Joining me today are two great analysts. First, he's returning to the program after a short hiatus. He is the host of Hockey Episodes on SBT Overtime. It's my good friend, Dan Groen. How's it going, everyone? And second, he is one of the best football minds I know. He is the host of Fantasy Football Episodes on SBT Overtime. He is Matt Permuka. Good morning, Akron. We have a great show, as always, planned for you all today. As we have finished the past three shows, we will end today's show by talking about the latest in the NFL, including... Tua Tungavaloa's injury, Miles Garrett's car accident, a preview for the Browns-Falcons game today, and NFL pickums for every week for game. Before that, if you didn't know, not only are the Cleveland Cavaliers back to practice, but they held media day last Monday. You'll hear what our representatives at the event, Logan Congrove and Alex Henry, asked, and more. We'll also answer all of your questions in that segment as well. Right before we discuss the Cavs, we'll discuss the Guardians. We have not been on the air since they won the AL Central, so we'll celebrate that while also looking ahead to the MLB playoffs. But first, we'll kick off today's program by talking about Week 5 of college football. Of course, we'll talk winners and losers for you in a matter of moments, but let's unfortunately talk about our very own Akron Zips. Before we break down the 31-28 loss to Bowling Green, here is head coach Joe Moorhead after the defeat. Stick with us. care about Akron football and the passion and the emotion that I want our team to mirror from the staff and have excitement for each other. I I want Akron fans, and it was a, a good turnout today. I want people to, it's okay to care about Akron football. And if they stick with us and we keep grinding away, I didn't come here by accident. You know, I didn't come here to get in and get out. Came here to build this thing. And, and I want, and if people can continue to buy into us and invest in us and keep coming to the games, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to build a program here that everyone can be proud of. Obviously, give credit to, uh, you know, Bowling Green came in with a good game plan. Um, 
did a nice job executing. Beat the team that beat Notre Dame. So that's, that's, a, that's a much improved football team. As Coach Leffler, I think, is heading into his, his fifth season. I thought our kids practiced well this week. I thought we played very hard again. Uh, you look at the numbers, more first downs, just about the same total yardage. Uh, third down conversions, about the same. Got the running game going. But uh, at the end of the day, too many explosive plays allowed on defense. And, you know, two turnovers that led to 14 points uh, between offense and special teams. So uh, I think the days of people rolling into Infocision Stadium or us going on the road in Akron football being a pu- pushover and people expecting us to roll over and lay down, you know, that's over. Uh, We've taken the we've taken the uh, the step towards we're we know how to compete and that's not a question and we don't know how to win right now and it's it is foreign to us and we have to figure out a way to bridge the gap between one score games and close in the fourth quarter to to, to put them away and certainly what we talk about all the time explosive plays and turnovers you know, that's one way to get that rectified so physically sick of the loss because we had a chance to win it but you know I, I can't ignore the progress that this team is making overall so a little bit of a double-edged sword certainly a lot to digest from coach joe moorhead after the loss to bowling green but what stuck out to me is when he said that winning was foreign to this team what do you guys think about what moorhead said in the overall loss to the falcons i mean he's not necessarily wrong um but I think that the Zips did a lot better this game than they have in previous games. It's just unfortunately there were a lot of costly mistakes that seems to ha- always happen with Akron, uh, such as fumbles, uh, just not staying disciplined on defense um, or on the offensive line for that matter. But all in all, I think that the Zips actually did a lot better this game, especially DJ Irons. I think he did everything that he had to do to try to keep this game alive, and they stuck through it all the way until the end. Yeah, Coach Joe Moorhead mentioned the turnovers. He also mentioned the explosive plays given up on defense. Certainly those were costly to the Zips in this game against the Falcons. Matt, what did you think of Moorhead, his postgame audio, and the loss to Bowling Green? You know, you could tell this one, like, really kind of stung, you know, Coach Moorhead. You know, the line, we don't know how to win, is something that really stuck out to me. You know, it's 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 true with this program, though, you know, and I think he, he's got a big task to write this ship and I wouldn't want it in anyone else's hands but him it just we're on the right direction but right now it's just it's that rocky rocky first start Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well coach Joe Moorhead was asked yesterday how he could work towards fixing this team making them familiar with winning and being competitive here's what Moorhead had to say I think we continue grinding away at our process of what we've been doing since January right Immersing them in a, in a culture of discipline and accountability and mental toughness, um, continuing to practice hard during the week and understand that has a correlation to how we play on on uh, Saturdays. You know, but most importantly, we got to you know first thing comes at, at, at me and the coaches. We got to make sure we're putting a game plan in place that you know maximizes our strengths. This is got to make sure we're calling a good game based on that. But we got to find a way to eliminate the execution errors that make losing teams losing teams so like i said the blow, the blowouts are over right now we got to find a way to bridge the gap but when you're in this building process you know you, you got to take the, the 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 positive aspects of it and continue to build on them and understand what the weaknesses are and work to minimize or eliminate them and you know we just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and the analogy i gave the guys it's like trying to split a boulder with a sledgehammer 
You know, it may not crack the first time, may not crack the second time, it may not crack the first 20 times, but eventually the thing's going to split. And uh, that's what I told him in the locker room. You know, we're this close to that thing split. Uh, and we'll get there. We are. Again, that was Coach Joe Moorhead after the loss to the Bowling Green Falcons yesterday afternoon. Do you believe that the Zips are going to be able to turn the tide of this season, break open the boulder, as he said, and become a winning team? I I want to say yes because they're making a lot of progress, like I said, over the last couple weeks, and that's kind of what he acknowledged. But they also need to find ways to actually finish these winnable games. They seem to be doing pretty well offensively, especially yesterday. They were very efficient, especially in the rushing game. And like I said, G.J. Irons was just really good at kind of taking things into his own hands. It's just a matter of eliminating those stupid mistakes that we always seem to make. And I think if we can just eliminate even just half of them, I think that we should be able to win some of these games, especially against Bowling Green. Uh, so I expect us to finish, if not 500, maybe a little bit below, probably around four or five wins. Yeah, I think 500 would be a success for the Zips team. And in that presser as well, Moorhead talked about how the Zips team starts games. Yeah. And the whole week mm-hmm. during practices, during everything that they work towards up to the game looks good. And then they go on the game for pregame practices and they look sluggish. They start slow. Mm-hmm. They give up lead and they're constantly working from behind. So that's definitely something the Zips will have to work on. But Matt, what do you think about what Moorhead said in the tide of the season? Will be will we be able to break open that boulder? You know, after that uh, press uh, press bit we had, I. I promise you there's going to be one game we win that we do not expect us to win. Just with that team, I, with listening to him speak, I would run through a wall for that man, and I'm not even in that locker room. I have full faith in that man, and I think the team does too. And, you know, maybe the boulder breaking doesn't necessarily mean we go on this big win streak to end the season, but maybe it means you upset a team in Athens next week. Maybe it means you win the wagon wheel for the first time in a while. Maybe it means, you know, you, you go on a, you, you take, you beat one of those Michigan teams, uh, Eastern or Western by double digits. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what that, it, we have to tamper our expectations for what breaking the boulder means this year. But I, we're on the right track with Coach Moorhead. Yeah, I would agree because we kind of knew that even though he was an excellent hire, that this wasn't going to be the year that all of a sudden we turn things around just like that. You know, it's not just switching on a light switch and then boom, we're a good team. We have to, there is a little bit of waiting because, you know, we still have those recruiting classes coming in and we're still kind of using some of the roster from the old regime. And so, as long as we see some sort of progress, I think it'll be a success for this season. Um, but even, but like, I really like that boulder analogy that I kept using um, because I think that by the time that boulder cracks, I think it'll be probably next season. But that doesn't mean that we can't finish off this season with a something positive, you know? Yeah, that certainly seems like the timeline to me as well. Looks like next season might be when that boulder finally cracks and the Zips team knows how to win. They're four into mm-hmm. winning, like Moorhead said, and that's very true. Hopefully that is not the case going into next year. And like you said, Matt, I would run through a wall for Coach Joe Moorhead as well. Hearing him speak with the emotion that he speaks during these pressers is fantastic to hear. It sounds like he has a locker room. Sounds like these guys are behind him. 
which is something I felt like was missing last year with Tom Arth. Oh, couldn't agree more. I think yeah. a lot of that with the, the old regime seemed like a lot of empty words and a lot of gimmicks with it. And that kind of that showed itself on the field. You know, Coach Moore had alluded to, you know, blowouts that blowout losses of the previous regime. I like I said, I think that's gone, as Coach Moore had alluded to. I, I think those days are gone. What he says, there's backing to it. And like I, I've said it every time I've spoken so far on this segment, he's the man for this job. He will write the Akron Zips down the line. Yeah, and it's not like Tom Arth didn't speak with emotion. I just think that emotion was misguided. He would always speak with almost sorrow and sadness after these defeats. Joe Moorhead, he's not that way. Sure, he's sad about the right. loss. But he's motivated to get better, yeah. and that's what I'm really noticing out of what he talk what he talks about during these press conferences. Yeah, he understands this is a process, and the one thing behind it is the results aren't there yet. But you can tell that there are competent people behind the process, and that's probably the biggest ta- that's probably the biggest positive of this season. Though the record might not be where we want it to be, but we have a solid foundation in that coaching staff. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, let's go to some of the positives that we can take away from yesterday's game against Bowling Green. Because one positive was the running game from the Akron Zips. DJ Irons had over 100 yards rushing in the game. And Clyde Price III stepped up with a touchdown and 71 rushing yards on 17 carries. Here's Coach Moorhead one final time on the rushing attack yesterday against Bowling Green. I think we've made positive progress in our running game. And, and a lot that you and I have talked about is having the quarterback be a component of that. And DJ was over 100. I think Clyde you know, ended up with 75 plus 25 in reception. So when, when the quarterback is a uh, legitimate threat, you know, it forces the defense to defend the whole length and width of the field. I thought Clyde ran with great pad level. I thought he ran with great physicality. I thought he made a bunch of positive yards after contact. Uh, you know, that's That was you know one of the positives to take out of this. Hopefully the running game is something this Sips team can build on and continue to use to their benefit this season. I mentioned how our leading rusher was our QB, DJ Irons. What did you guys think of his performance? I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think it was probably his best performance of the season, at least so far. He really reminded me a lot of Lamar Jackson out there, the way he was able to escape a lot of the pressure and pretty much take over the game with his feet and his arm, too, because he also found some really good uh, reads, some good open receivers. It's just, unfortunately, some of those receivers couldn't come up with the ball, um, probably because they're not used to being that open, maybe. I'm not sure. But as far as DJ Irons goes, I think that was probably his best performance of the season, and I hope that he continues that and eliminates a lot of the mistakes that he's historically made. Yeah, his stat line against Bowling Green, 20 for 33, 224 yards in the air. Of course, those 105 rushing yards, three touchdowns, and one interception in the game. Matt, what did you think of Irons? You know, DJ Irons is your one glimmer of hope. Like, whenever he steps on the field, you feel confident you could at least put up a puncher's chance. I think the way I kind of look at it the most, DJ Irons on the Zips team. Like, have you guys seen the, the meme where it's like the Porsche in the trailer park? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's kind of like DJ Irons with the Akron Zips football team because you know you got a chance with it. It, it it's it's the best thing 
with what you got there. Yeah, and um, shout out to Jake Marin, a goat. Uh, he tweeted... <laughs> <laughs> Always a shout out. Yes. yes. Uh, he's our a favorite, friend of the show. Our favorite account. Yes. Uh, but he tweeted something about how the Akron defense needs to show up or something. Or No, he said something like, Akron needs defense. And I, and I replied with, they also need napkins to wipe the butter off their fingers because they were dropping a lot of wide open passes that... I think DJ Irons would have had a much better stat line had those receivers actually held on to the ball. Yeah, that they were. Let's look ahead to next week, though. We go on the road to play the Ohio Bobcats at 2 p.m. on Saturday. The Bobcats have proven their ability to score in their 59-52 shootout victory over Fordham two weeks ago. But they fell to Kent State yesterday and Mac play 31-24 to in overtime. What do you guys think of the Ohio matchup? And give me your prediction for the game. I think this one's going to be really tough. Well, I think it's going to be a really close matchup, but it's also going to be kind of a challenge for the Zips. And I'm looking at one player on the Bobcats right now, and that is quarterback Curtis Rourke. He's got 11 touchdowns already and only two interceptions with a little over 1,500 yards. So um, restraining him is going to be quite a challenge for the Zips, but if they can pressure him, I think that they have a chance. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Any thoughts on the game against Ohio? Well, Dan, you took my key player for the Bobcats away, so I'll uh, go on my other. I'll go on my other point. Uh, The Bobcats are a a predominantly pass-heavy offense. I think they only have 410 rushing yards on the season, like as a team, like that's their team total. So. Uh, next next Saturday's game is going to come down primarily on that zip secondary and on the pass rush. And the pass rush has not really stepped up yet. We saw this week the O-line finally stepped up and brought the running game. We need those big boys on the front on that D-line to get this going because if they can get to Rourke, the Zips can steal one in Athens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a scary thought to depend on our secondary and our defensive line in order to win a game against the Bobcats. But for me, like I said, the Bobcats can score the football, and they were able to compete with a Kent State team that is expected to compete for the MAC title this season. I think that the process that Coach Joe Moorhead was referring to in his post-game press conference yesterday is going to take a long time. This team is still foreign to winning. I don't think we build that bridge between being competitive and closing out games quite yet. So I expect yet another Zips loss. I'll go with 38-23 as the final score. What do you guys think? Who's winning? And give me a final score prediction. I will go Ohio 35 Zips 28. All right, a little bit closer. Yeah, I'm going to do. It. I'm going to take the Zips 34, Bobcats 31. I think I, okay. I think today I think next Saturday we're going to start to see that boulder chip away a bit. I'm going I'll, I'll I'll say it. I'll say it. Zips right, win next week. I respect week. it. All right, a field goal victory there for the Zips for Matt. Love to hear it. But before we go to break, it's time for my favorite segment in terms of college football every single week. It's time for winners and losers for week five of the college football season. Matt, I'll start with you. Give me your winners for week five. My winner of the week is Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, There were only two top 15 matchups yesterday. Ole Miss... Had number seven Kentucky come in with Will Levis, who's one of the top quarterback prospects in this draft. That Ole Miss defense suffocated the Kentucky offense, allowing only 19 points, forcing two turnovers late in the fourth quarter on Kentucky's final drives. And Ole Miss hung on. You know, Ole Miss is, they emerged as that third team in the SEC. And after Georgia's performance yesterday and Bryce Young's potential injury, maybe if all the cards go right, that 
Old Miss could compete for the SEC championship. Okay, that's right. your winner. Dan, give me your winner. I have two. I have Mayan Williams from Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes, scoring five touchdowns. That ties a record for most touchdowns in a single game by a Buckeye. And also Liberty wide receiver Javian Lofton. I don't know if you guys saw his catch. I did. Yes. It was the most impressive. Like OBJ and George Pickens, they might be below that catch, in, in my opinion, because the way he just grabbed that with one hand, like in stride, overhead, in, in stride, stride ab- too, that was insane. Above like two defenders, and then just came down with it as if it was nothing. It looked like, like. It, it, to me, it, it gives like, me a reason to think that maybe we do live in a simulation because that defied the laws of, of uh, basic physics, in my opinion. It was like second nature for him to make that catch, too. It almost yeah. looked yeah. like the ball was stuck to his hand immediately and when he, he made stared contact. down the yeah. receiver as if, like, that was just nothing. Like, it, it was unbelievable. So he's my second winner of the of the week. All right, fair enough. For me, my winners, you guys both had them. I had <laughs> Ole Miss first, 14th-ranked Ole Miss beat 7th-ranked Kentucky 22-19. to Something you did mention, Matt, was the coaching booth in the press oh, box. Oh, yeah. You see this video? <laughs> I, yes. They went it absolutely crazy after securing the win against the Wildcats. Unfortunately, the camera angle was a little bit lower, so you saw some things you maybe not, maybe didn't <laughs> want to see. But uh, no, uh, the, the coaching staff was going insane in that wasn't press box, there, but. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> coaching staff was going insane. Congratulations to Ole Miss for beating Kentucky, and then my other winner is Mayan Williams for the exact reason you mentioned it, Dan. The five rushing touchdown, tying the school's single game rushing record at five. Now, let's go to losers. Matt, take it away. So, I have two, but my first one's kind of like a two-for-one. So, my first loser of the week is the play-by-play announcers at the four-letter network. Because these guys will get into their rhythm, there will be a big play going on, and all of a sudden, they have to cut away to watch the New York Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge take plate appearances. And you could tell there were some points at the cutaways. They were just not having it. I remember in that Ole Miss-Kentucky game, Kentucky got into the red zone off of like a huge third down throw over the middle, and then they cut right to Aaron Judge. And you you could just – it took away from the game-watching experience. And the uh, other part of that is the fans of those teams that were playing on the four-letter network during the Yankees game – because they lost a lot of perspective about the game that was going on, and they couldn't really follow their team because the audio was at a baseball game. I actually wasn't aware of this. You weren't aware of that? I, I wasn't either. But no, yeah, wow. no. College football on the four-letter network, whenever Aaron Judge is at the name, plate, they, nameless. Yep, they, uh, they would cut away. They, they would do a split screen. So on the left would be the game that you were you know watching, and on the right would be Aaron Judge at the plate, and the audio would be synced from Yankee Stadium. I can guarantee you that if that was Jose Ramirez with 61 home runs about to hit the uh, the uh, new record, they wouldn't have shown that. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. And then my other loser, the, I don't know if it's a loser per se, but is the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Bryce Young went down with that AC joint injury. We don't know the extent to that. If it's, long, if it's a long-term injury, which I hope it's not, that could spell trouble for the Crimson Tide. But those are my losers for the week. Yeah, good takes. Dan, go ahead. I had one, but I think I'm going to add another one as well. My first one that I already had was Greg Schiano. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, uh, probably the biggest controversy from that game was the fake punt when Ohio State was up by 
I don't know how much I wasn't watching that game. I was watching the Zips, unfortunately. Um, but I know there was a lot of controversy there, and I think the punter got hit late, and Greg Schiano was not having it. A lot of controversy there, but my take is, you know what? If you don't like it, then stop it. You know, it's like in baseball, if you're up like 11 runs to nothing and it's the eighth inning and you hit another home run, are people going to be like, oh, that's disrespectful. They shouldn't be doing that. They're so classless. I, I just don't get it. So uh, Greg Schiano letting up all those points to Ohio State. Um, I'm sure he misses us. And then my other one is Georgia for barely holding on. They barely held on, right? Yeah, barely. Yep. So they're not going to be at that number one spot. At least I hope they aren't. But honestly... They probably will be because it's, it's SEC. SEC, SEC so. bias. Yep. No, but dude, I have something about your first point. So after that Greg Schiano, like after his press conference and he was mad about the fake punt, mm-hmm. uh, Ted Newen on Twitter, uh, uh, he pulled up a t- uh, quote from Greg Schiano's presser when he was still the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he was taking flack for trying to uh, send like an all-out blitz on a QB kneel to force a fumble. <laughs> During a quarterback kneel. See, now that's a little disrespectful. And, like, it's like the pot calling the kettle black with that. So, yeah. You know, Shiano's a bit of a, a little prima donna right now. A little bit of a hypocrite. Just a bit. Definitely some interesting losers <laughs> there. You mentioned the Georgia Bulldogs, Dan. They narrowly beat the Missouri Tigers 26-22 to yesterday. It remains to be seen if they will keep that number one overall seed in the NCAA. My losers, though, I have two of them as well. Number one, the Ole Miss team is a winner, but their student section... Oh, is yes. a loser. Yes. So I'm not aware of these frat, ha- these frat houses rivalries, but oh, frat houses SAE and Sigma Chi <laughs> were involved in a huge brawl oh. in the student section with many punches thrown. It was insane. I can only imagine how many. Like, do you know who my dad is? Or my dad's a lawyer. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. that. I was just going to say, there's so many good memes that have already come out of it, and one of them was, my dad's a doctor versus my dad's a lawyer. <laughs> They're all Jeez. in their suits, too. It was so funny to see that. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, it was a pretty rough brawl, and it <laughs> took a while for security to break it all up. So definitely a loser there. The team won, but the student section definitely lost. And my second loser had to do with a player that you mentioned, Dan. Okay. JV- Javian Lofton. This man really? made that insane catch, but the loser is the Liberty broadcaster. Oh, okay. Because if you listen to that play, if you listen to the broadcast, he caught that incredible one-handed touchdown. We mentioned it, but the broadcast enthusiasm level seemed like it was a two-yard run play. It was terrible. Well, it's Liberty. You know, they're not really allowed to get too amped up for things. I mean, I guess, but if you see that catch, that's a historic catch. I know. it's They missed their moment. That was their golden moment to have like a highlight bit. Maybe they just didn't believe it, and they were just in denial that whole time. Who knows? Yeah. I guess a lot of broadcasters were taking L's this (laughs) week in college football. That'll do it for our college football discussion on today's show. When we return from break, we're going to talk about the MLB, have our Player of the Week segment, as we always do. And last week, when we were on the air... The Guardians did not win the AL Central quite yet. Of course, they are your 2022 AL Central Division champions. So we'll celebrate that, look ahead at the postseason and more when we return with Sports Power Talk.
Welcome back to Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Marin. I'm the host of your show today. I am joined alongside by my two analysts. First, Dan Groen. What's good, y'all? And second, Matt Permuka. How we doing, everyone? Are we ready to talk baseball, guys? Of course. Wait, wait not yet. All right, oh. I'm ready now. You ready now, Dan? I'm ready. Okay. I'm always ready. Sounds good. Let's talk baseball, and let's start with the player of the week. Of course, this is a segment we do every single week where we highlight an MLB player regardless of position, and it could be for accomplishments on or off the field. Dan, I'll go to you first. Who's your player of the week? Well, if you know me, you know that I hate giving the Yankees any sort of credit, but I kind of had to here. I'm going with Aaron Judge for hitting home run number 61 to tie the AL all-time record. So that's my pick for player of the week, Aaron Judge, for as much as I hate to uh, give any credit to the Yankees. It's a valid pick, though. It's a valid pick. Mm -hmm. Matt, you said during the break that this was going to shock me. Yes. Or make me feel something. I don't even know if this one will count, but this, my player of the week, it's all about overcoming adversity. This person was if they had a rough season this year they were sent down to single a but last night at the hot dog derby mustard won their first hot dog race of the season they are now one in 30s one in 71 on the season mustard with their first win last night mustard is my player of the week from the cleveland guardians hot dogs in the hot dog derby races reflog you can cancel the parade so Two things. Yes, I picked a mascot, Jake. Yes, I picked a mustard mascot. I picked the yellow hot dog as my I'm player. Surprised of the you're week. not all into this. No, I mean two things. One, that's fine. Pick whoever you want. Two, <laughs> I don't really care. Is that bad? Aww. What? Like this whole time they, they when Mustard was You're like the down. biggest Guardians fan up here. Jake, they made a Twitter account. It's a verified Twitter account for the Hot Dog Derby. It's literally called Did Mustard Win? There is an account. There's, <laughs> there's, there's the Cleveland Guardians Hot Dogs, who at one point followed me for like three days. Uh, then there's the account Did Mustard Win Last Night. Uh, and then there were the other ones about must, uh, ketchup and onion. You know, Mustard's had a rough year. They send them down to single A Lake Erie. Talk about overcoming adversity, like you said. I know. Well, he he did uh, throw the other mascots down in center field last night, and it was basically <laughs> just him by about 80 yards, but Mustard's a winner. I don't know, man. I just don't really care about the mascot rankings, You're not American. Man. Hey, fair enough. I also, wow. I also hate take, mustard. So. Rare L take, Jake. I also hate mustard. I know he's root for Oh, ketchup, so. wow. Mm. Do you like mustard? On my hot dogs? Yeah, that's why I picked mustard as my favorite one. Uh, well, I guess it means something to you then. Yeah, because mustard's a meme. I'm and just all good. about a good underdog story. They should make an ESPN sixty for sixty on that. They should. They should about mm-hmm. mu- yeah yeah mustard was mustard won the hot dog derby last year. It won, and now they're one in seventy on the year. Good for them, man. Good for them. All right, get to your player. Yeah, Boo, yeah. be boring. Be boring Boo. again. Boo. Boring or real? Yes. Yes, yes. Reality is boring. <laughs> Whatever. I have an honorable mention. Before I get to my actual player of the week, I'll give my honorable mention first. My honorable mention is Anthony Santander from the Baltimore Orioles. On Tuesday night, he became the second player in MLB history to homer from both sides of the plate in the same game four times in the same season. I think this is really impressive, but it is a bit of a reach, so that's why my actual player of the week is is a Guardians player 
It's Aniel De Los Santos. He pitched an immaculate inning against the Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night. This was the first immaculate inning for a Cleveland pitcher since 2020 when Zach Plesak pitched one. And what's more impressive is that it was the only or it was only the fourth immaculate inning in club history. So is that boring, Matt? I could say it's pretty immaculate. It's immaculate. But not as fun as mustard. It's not mustard. People aren't going on Twitter about mustard. I mean, about the immaculate inning. They're going. They're talking about mustard right now. Still An immaculate impressive. inning is better than mustard. Have man. don't be a baseball realist. In, have fun with in it. In the grand scheme of things, sure. But we already clinched. So what really yeah, matters? I guess at the moment. I we guess won that's the division. True. <laughs> you know, mustard hadn't won a derby yet. Yeah. Well, let's talk about us winning the division because, like I said before, we went to break. Last time we were on the air, we did not clinch the AL Central Division. Of course, we clinched it last Sunday afternoon slash evening. So let's have a short celebration for our 2022 AL Central Division champions. They won the division last Sunday, as I said. So a quick question for both of you. What's your favorite part of this team? I would say... I think just the youth of the team and how well everyone's playing across the entire board. It's not just a team where, you know, say, like, there's two or three veterans who are playing out of their minds and they're carrying the team. No, it's like the entire rotation, the entire lineup is playing. All of them are playing like all-stars, and I think that's incredible. And I think it just speaks to how well-managed this team is under Tito Francona and uh, Carl Willis, the pitching coach, obviously. Um, and they have such a bright future. We Obviously, we have a lot to look forward to this October, but even in years down the road, I think we're going to be in the playoffs uh, pretty regularly. So I'd say probably the youth and the consistency all throughout the entire team. Absolutely. Youth has been key. Of course, we're setting records for the most rookie appearances in a single season. Matt, what's your favorite part of this young and exciting Guardians team? Well, Dan, you picked my... You went with my season as a whole moment. So I'll pick some individual <laughs> moments that really, really uh, just made me fall in love with this team. First one was Josh Naylor against the White Sox. Oh, I think back man. in April or May when he just he hit that long bomb and then he started just smack-talking the dugout and just started headbutting people. That's what I'm like, all right, this team, this team's for real. This isn't just some, like, fluke start to the season. They're for real. I but, love Joshua Douglas, and, James Naylor so and then, much. Uh, so much you even and know then, his middle names. And then recently... Uh, Terry Francona's celebration after clinching the Central was probably one of the most wholesome things I've ever seen. Yes. And, like, just the, like, you could tell everyone in that room just had, like, the most, like, stupid ear-to-ear smile. Like, they were just so happy to be there. And what was cool about that was for as much success as Tito has had over his years as as a uh, manager, both in Cleveland and Boston, it seemed like that was one of his most proud moments, obviously. Oh, definitely, because no one expected that. No, no one expected. One. I mean, there were analysts saying that we were going to finish dead last in our division. Well, I, I think that was kind of the consensus. Us in Kansas City were going to be the bottom I feeders. thought that we would compete, like finish probably fourth or third or so i didn't think we'd finish dead last but that there seemed to be a lot of pessimism a lot of just kind of apathy about the season myself included i was like all right well it's going to be another eh season where we look like we're contenders there for a while but then we'll just end up falling flat but no we're gonna hit 90 wins we could hit 90 who saw that coming it's unreal 
Nobody saw it coming. That's what makes this team so great. And, Matt, you mentioned some moments and with Tito's reaction. Did you guys see the clip of Tito and Andres Jimenez in the dugout when uh, Jose Ramirez hit that three-run homer? Or it almost like, like they, they predicted yeah, it. They, yeah, they called it. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool, dude. Just This team has such a great chemistry, and it's like they're – they're a unit. It's not just yeah. nine dudes that are playing baseball. It's it is a team that is playing baseball. Right. Unless you're a White Sox fan, I just don't understand how you can not like this team. It's well, just such a wholesome, fun team to watch. Did you see the White Sox local announcer? That was like he went on that tangent after the Guardians clinched about how like the White Sox should play like the Guardians and how you'd want your team to play like yep. the Guardians. Like that was like the difference between the Guardians and the White Sox are like night and day because you have a White Sox team that is wildly underperformed for as much talent as they have on the team mm-hmm. versus the Guardians who have the youngest team in the entire MLB. And AAA. <laughs> and the managers on and both AAA. teams couldn't be different. Nope. Right. Not at all. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's unreal how much polar opposites they are. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, you know, talking about the White Sox and the Twins, the two teams that were expected to compete for the AL Central this year. Mm-hmm. When the Guardians play them, they played them well. They obviously swept the White Sox, won, I think, four out of five games against the Twins in those two critical series just a few weeks ago. But even after we played them, we left those teams in ruin. Oh, yeah. I, I think the June series against the Twins, we hit like two walk-offs in a row. I like That broke yes. Minnesota, and I think that derailed them into August. Like. We demoralized the Minnesota Twins, and that was probably one of the most satisfying wins of the entire season. I want to also add that another one of my favorite things about the season is not only how good everyone is as a whole, but just how exciting this team has been coming from behind in so many games. I was not a big fan of the name change, I'll admit. But if they weren't going to be the Guardians, we would never have had the Guardiac Kids as a nickname. And I just love calling them that. And I think that's probably my other favorite part of this whole entire season for uh, the Guardians. Dan, you took it right out of my mouth because (laughs) my favorite part of this team is the Guardiac Kids mentality. You can never count this team out regardless of how many runs they're losing by or or how their offense looks in the first five to seven innings. On Wednesday, in a Med Rosario walk-off in extra innings, recorded the 28th win this season in the last at-bat of the game, which set a new franchise record. Plus, they won every single series against division opponents, which is a recipe for success. The Guardiac kids are real, and I couldn't enjoy this young, exciting team any more than I am right now. Yeah, and um, one thing I want to add was that uh, this last Thursday, I was interning with 330 to go, so shout out to them, and we were in Medina. Uh, Also, shout out to JoJo's. And as I was interning, I was kind of keeping my eye on the game. And we were, I think we were down like 2 nothing or 2-1 to one heading into the 8th. And I just had this feeling. I was like, all right, we're in good hands. How many times have we been here before where we're down like a couple runs with like two innings left and we figure out how to win? And so I was like, all right, I think we got this. Yeah, in the past, down 2-1 going into the 8th or ninth inning, you're lost. You yeah. know, yeah. we've already lost with how our offense has been in previous years. You're done. Just but the imagine, cardiac kids mentality is here. Just imagine our current uh, bats right now playing with like say 2018's pitching rotation oh oh boy i would love it series right there but the pitching staff is stepping up in some ways our bullpen Mm -hmm. has the best era in baseball since july 
And even, you know, Bieber's gotten into more Bieber fashion as of late. Plesak obviously just got called back up. Uh, Savali, he's going to need some fine-tuning before the postseason. And Quantrill, McKenzie, they've been pretty lights out this season as well. Going to the Guardians, though, and their roster changes. Let's talk about the roster changes a little bit. What happened yesterday, they designated Brian Shaw for assignment, good old Brian Shaw, uh, to make room for Bo Naylor. Yes. Because two Naylors are better than one. And option Tyler Freeman for Zach Plesak. So Shaw and Freeman out, Naylor and Plesak in before the postseason. Yeah, I absolutely love these roster moves. Um, well, the Zach Plesak one kind of concerns me because he has struggled a lot this season. He has a 3-13 and record. And Tom Hamilton was saying this on the radio the other day, how Zach Plesak, he's not really someone who you want coming out of the bullpen because he takes a long time to get warmed up, to get used to it. And you can't really have that coming out of the bullpen. you got to be fire like, just right out of the gate. So I think having him back... The upside is there. He's just got to prove it. And um, But other than that, with Bo Naylor coming in and optioning Brian Shaw down for as much as Brian Shaw has been a big part of this organization for how many years now, it's definitely time to bring Bo Naylor up when it matters most because he's been absolutely killing it in AAA. So I'm really excited by these moves for sure. Especially when our catching has not been great this year, especially at the plate. Right. I still think that Austin Hedges season batting average is below 200 so calling up O'Naylor seems like the absolute right move and in today's lineup Josh Naylor at four Bo Naylor at five you absolutely love to see it Matt what did you think of these roster changes you know Dan you kind of again took some I of the feel word. like I'm I feel like I'm <laughs> taking everyone's answers yeah. maybe I'll stop no, talking so, as much you know Brian Shaw you know he he was here a bit too long but this year, he was such a crucial piece to this team. I remember there were a few games, I think in July, he had to start like two or three games against the Red Sox. He somehow won those matchups. You know, we give Brian Shaw a lot of flack, and a lot of it's deserved. Mm-hmm. But he has played a great, great role in this organization over the past decade. So, yeah, I'm going to thank him for his service, and it's time for the kids to come up. Yeah, I definitely served that veteran presence in the bullpen. Shaw's only behind Mel Harder and Bob Feller for most games pitched in Cleveland franchise history at 519. So thank you for your service, Shaw, like you said, Matt. But it's time for the young boys to come up and do some work as we head into the postseason. This KC series, though, against Kansas City, you know, we won 6-3 on Friday, lost 7-1 last night. That's when Plesak made his return. He had four runs scored against him on seven hits in 3.2 innings pitched. Today's game, Shane Bieber takes the mound for the Guardians. He'll take on Max Castillo of the Royals. Bieber in his last outing. Four earned runs against him on six hits in six innings pitched against Tampa Bay. Castillo, in his last outing, well, he didn't record a single out while giving up three earned runs and two walks in the first inning against the Tigers. I like our chances today. I like our chances the rest of this regular season against Kansas City. But what do you guys think? I want to see win number 90 today. It has such, such a nice ring to it. 90 win Cleveland Guardians, AL Central champions. That's what I want to see today. I don't care how you get it done. Just get it done. Yep. Um, kind of going the other way around. You guys pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I want to see 90 wins coming out today. And I also am feeling really good about this matchup between uh, Bieber and Castillo. Is that who it was? Yep. Yep. I'm feeling really good about that. 
I think that this is the day that we hit that 90 uh, uh, milestone. So, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the Guardians rebound from last night's loss. They're going to get hits and walks all over Castillo today. And I think Bieber looks great in what is expected to be his last start until game one of the American League wild card in Cleveland. And these next four games against KC, which will be some good tune-up games before the postseason for Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, and Plesak. Those are your slated starting pitchers for the rest of the Royals series before we get to the postseason. And let's talk about the postseason as the Guardians will host that three-game weekend series next week in the AL wildcard. I'm nervous just thinking about how this time next week the Guardians season could be over or could be advancing to the divisional series. For it to advance, though, what are the keys to postseason success for the Guardians and who do we want to play against in the first round? I think right now we'd be playing the Tampa Bay Rays, correct? Yeah, right now it's Tampa Bay. Really, it's Tampa Bay or, or Seattle. Or Seattle, okay. Oh, sorry, Toronto's the four seed, my bad. But yeah, uh, keys to this, pitching has to step up. You know, that is what you rely on typically in the it, just in this organization. Bieber and McKenzie, we need two phenomenal games out of those guys in games one and two, and mm-hmm. we just need our we just need our bats to be like how they've been all year. Just bring the guys around the bases. You don't need to go yard. Just bring them home. Exactly. Just keep playing how you've been playing. Just play baseball. Play baseball. Yep. yep. Um, but pretty yeah, that pretty much so, describes everything I was going to say as well. Just keep playing how you've been playing all season. It's worked well for you. Um, pitching, like I said, has to be on point, and it's been on point for the most part. And just keep getting those quality at bats. You don't have to be power hitters because they've kind of proven that. You don't need to have the most powerful hitting team to be one of the most successful teams in the league. So just keep doing that. Keep stealing bases like you've been doing, and just keep up the you know just keep up the recipe that you've been following. And then, as far as who we should be playing, I would rather play Tampa Bay just because we just beat them in a series. They're kind of in a slump right now. They're a little bit cold right at the wrong time, while we are probably the hottest team in the entire league. So I think that if we go up against the Rays in that wild card round, we easily uh, match up very well against them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Dan. I want to play the Tampa Bay Rays in the first series. We are 1-6 against Seattle this season. Julio Rodriguez is expected to be back as soon as tomorrow, and I don't want to take them on in any capacity, yet alone a three-game playoff series. The Guardians are, however, four and two against the Royal or against the Rays this season. You mentioned that series win earlier this week. I think we match up well with them, and I'd rather play them, and I'd be more confident in winning that series in the wild card. In terms of keys, I think the Guardians need to stick to their brand of baseball, don't get ahead of themselves when playing home run hitting teams, and attempt to copy that. The Guardians have been so good recently because they played a Guardians brand of baseball. And my last key, the pitching has to be sharp. It's okay to give up a solo homer or two, but don't give opposing teams free base runners and ultimately free runs. This applies to our pitching staff as well, as I expect Class A to be lights out. Now, it's time for Around the Rue, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. And this has to do with the Guardians and their postseason run. What's your realistic expectations for the Guardians this postseason? So, of course, 
We have four options. They include winning the World Series, winning the American League, winning the American League Divisional Series, and winning the Wild Card. Matt, I'll go to you first. What are your realistic expectations for the Guardians this postseason? Realistic? Win round one, just be competitive round two. I don't expect them to win the second round, but just get ready for Just give them a fight. Give them a fight. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, what are your realistic expectations? I think that if you look at it out of context, I would say probably a wild card win. But just because this team has been so darn hot lately, probably, like I said, the hottest team in the entire MLB, I would I think I'm going to say they can win up to two rounds, I think. I think that they might struggle against some of your more powerhouse teams like the Yankees, obviously, with how hot uh, Aaron Judge has been. But I think that they have the play style and the roster and everything going for them that they can win not only the wild card round, but also even advance beyond the division round, I think. Yeah, I I like the optimism there, but for me... My realistic expectation is to win the wild card. Unfortunately, we'll run into the Yankees in the second round. Simply making the playoffs is enough for me, though, this year, especially with what everyone expected this team to do and be this season. While I think we could beat the Yankees and we could even make the the World Series, if I'm being realistic, we probably fall to New York in the ALDS, which, again, fine by me, and we'll get our young roster some great postseason experience that they can use for next season let us know though around the route is about to be live on our twitter at wzip sports and let us know what your realistic expectations for the guardians are this postseason do you have them winning the world series just the american league the alds or the wild card before we wrap up today's mlb segment let's look at the mlb postseason as a whole and let's predict how the postseason will end out. And first, before we get to that, there are some postseason spots still open. Who gets the last few wild card spots? To me, it's really just Milwaukee or Philadelphia. So the Brewers and the Phillies, guys, who do you like for that last NL wild card spot? I like Philadelphia. I think that roster is pretty good. I think they can come together at the right time. I know Milwaukee's uh, had a pretty inconsistent season, so I'd trust Philly just a bit more right now. Yeah, this one's really tough for me, but I think I'm going to go with Milwaukee here. I think that they'll figure out how to pull ahead and finish with that last wild card spot in the uh, National League. Yeah, the Phillies have a one game lead ahead of the Brewers for the last wild card spot in the NL. The Phillies closed out the year at Houston, while the Brewers finished the regular season by hosting Arizona. Based on that, I'm going to go with Milwaukee because the Astros have been great all year. Of course, they have the best regular season record among AL teams and in the MLB right behind the Dodgers, I believe. So Milwaukee, I'm going with them to take that last NL wildcard spot. And another spot in the NL that is up for grabs is the division champion for the NL East between the Mets and the Braves. So I'll go get this one to you guys as well. You know, Braves, Mets, who do you guys like? Uh, I like the New York Mets. Uh, they, I think the Mets and the Braves have a two-game series. I think game one might have been last night. If not, it's tonight and tomorrow. Uh, let's assume uh, uh, New York takes one, Atlanta takes the other. The Mets play Washington in their final uh, three games, whereas... Uh, the Braves play the Mar- uh, Marlins, so I would much rather be in the Mets situation than I would be in the Braves. 
Yeah, I would agree. I would go with the Mets as well. I mean, not that star star power really matters all that much at this point in the season, um, but I do like their team a little bit better than Atlanta. And like you said, their their last few games here down the stretch are a little more favorable-looking than Atlanta, so I'm going with the Mets. Yeah, the Mets and Braves play each other today in Atlanta. Then the Mets play a three-game series at home against the Nationals to close out the season, while the Braves have three games on the road against the Marlins. So some easy competition for both teams to end the season. Ultimately, I think it depends who wins today's game for the division champion of the NL East. I'm going to go with the Braves, the defending champions. I think they're going to win the NL East. But let's look at the entire postseason picture, and let's predict every single series. We'll start with the NL as it is right now. It's the Cardinals and Phillies. Who do you guys like in that series? I will take St. Louis over Philly in the wild card. Yep, I would take them easily. Yeah, I'm taking the Cardinals as well. They've been one of the best teams on offense, at least, all season long the mm-hmm. other wild card series in the nl between the padres and the braves two hard-hitting teams who do you guys like this is going to be such a fun three-game series like I, I like i'll admit i'm not the biggest baseball fan i'm tuning in for oh, yeah. all three games of this series this i am actually excited to watch this i think Sandy, uh, san diego is too, has too much firepower to lose this so i'm going to pick the padres yeah i think the uh, Braves are a really tough matchup for the Padres, but the Padres, when you just look at that roster, like you said, they're just too good to not show up. So this one's really tough for me. I think I'm going to have to go with Atlanta in this one, but this is going to be by far the most entertaining wild card series uh, this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. This series is going to be insane. I'm going to go with the Padres, though. Of course, both offenses are great. The Braves have been hot recently. But for me, the Padres, their pitching staff, I trust more. So I'm going to go with the Padres, even though pitching might not even matter in this series. I'm going with the Padres. And, of course, that series could change based on the Braves and Mets and how they position in the NL. So we both had the – or all three of us had the Cardinals moving on. So it would be the Cardinals taking on the Mets. Hmm. Oh, boy. All right, Cardinals-Mets? I'm going Mets here. Yeah, I got to go in Mets. I'm going to go with the Mets as well. The other series, depending on if you had the Padres or Braves going on, they will play the L.A. Dodgers. Who do you guys like in that one? I also have San Diego over the Dodgers. Wow, a bit of an upset. Interesting. Yeah, I, I got L.A. in this one, but, man, I would love to see the San Diego move on past not only the Mets or the Braves or whoever they would play, but also L.A. I just hate watching L.A. and New York succeed in sports. So, Well, yeah, that too. That's fair. Uh, so I have a Mets and Dodgers NLCS. Who do you guys have and who are you going with? The NLC, My NLCS is the Padres and the Mets. Do you want me to pick my scenario or yours? Your scenario. Go All right, yeah, I have the Padres again. I got Padres advancing to the fall classic. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Very high on the Padres. I is am. Mets? Dan, go ahead. So between the Mets and the Dodgers, oh, man. I really want to go Mets, but I'm afraid the Dodgers are going to be even a little more than the Mets can handle. So unfortunately, I'm going L.A. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Dodgers to advance the World Series. And actually, right now, the Braves are leading the NL East, so they would go to that Mets spot, and we could have a Mets-Dodgers series in the NLDS, but if the Mets, of course, win their division, it would be Mets-Dodgers in the NLCS. But regardless, 
I have the Dodgers going to the World Series. Let's quickly go through the AL Guardians Rays. I got Cleveland. Yep, I got Cleveland easily because, like I said, Cleveland is hot, the Rays are cold, and that is always a recipe for success if you're uh, on the uh, hot streak. For it. So, um, yeah, I'm going Cleveland. Yeah, as do I. I have the Guardians, the other AL wildcard series, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays. I'll take Toronto just because of their experience. Yeah, I think this one's going to be another really entertaining one, and I'm kind of torn on it, but... I think Toronto just has a little bit more firepower there, so I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I like the Toronto lineup and their pitching rotation more than the Seattle Mariners, so I like Toronto to move on. That leaves Toronto playing the Houston Astros in the ALDS. Who do you guys like in that one? Unfortunately, I got to pick Houston. Yep, Astros as well. Yeah, Astros moving on to the ALCS. And the other one, Yankees, Guardians. Give me a prediction. This one's going to hurt, but I'm going to take the Yankees. Does that mean I have to change my around the Rue answer? You know what? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going Guardians. Yeah. All right. Why not? All right. I love to hear it. I'm going to go with the Yankees. I hate saying it as well, Matt, but I'm going to go with the Yankees. It hurts my soul. So we have Yankees, Astros in the ALCS. You have Guardians, Astros in the ALCS. Dan, Dan, go ahead with the ALCS prediction. Again, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with the asterisks here um, because they're going to be way too much for the Guardians to handle, I think. Um, Even though I would love for them to go on and keep riding that hot streak of theirs, but um, they already were worn out by the Yankees, so unfortunately I don't think they can hold up very well against Houston. I will take Houston over the Yankees because I know we probably all have different ones. Go ahead, predict the World Series winner of this season. Matt, go ahead. All right, my World Series matchups, the Padres and the Houston Astros. I think the Astros win one clean this time. Interesting. Damn. Yep. Um, well, allegedly clean. Um, I'm <laughs> so going far, with, it's clean. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Dodgers taking the Astros in six games. All right, I have Dodgers, Astros, and I'm going to go with the Dodgers winning in six games. I think the Dodgers are firing on all cylinders, whether that be pitching or hitting. They have by far the best record in the MLB, and I'm picking both number one seeds to go to the World Series, but ultimately I'm going with the Dodgers to win it all. We'll see how it all plays out. The The wild card starts next weekend. Like I said, this time next week, we will know the results of most of the wild card series unless they do go to three games but hopefully the guardians will wrap up that series hopefully against the tampa bay rays and not against the seattle mariners in two games so we don't have to stress out about a third game next sunday but that'll do it for our mlb discussion when we return we'll talk about the cleveland cavaliers as they hosted media day on monday we'll have some of our clips from our representatives that were at the event and more so stay tuned Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Sports Talk Show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murn, the host of SPT. I'm joined by Dan Groen. Good afternoon, y'all. And Matt Permuka. This is your weekly reminder to set your fantasy lineups. Thank you for that, Matt. One welcome. hour left. Yeah. A little bit late, though, because that Saints game. Well, well, yeah, but inactives always come out at noon, so I think when we come back from break, it's like, okay, you know, you're going to know if your player is in or out. Yeah, true that. What's the score of that Saints game? So the Saints-Vikings, Saints are up 22-19 to with about six minutes left in the fourth, but Minnesota is driving. 
All right, we'll keep you updated on that. But let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers as they hosted Media Day on Monday and have officially started practicing for this upcoming season. And let's hear from our representatives at WZIP Sports that were present at Cavs Media Day. We'll start with Logan Congrove's question for GM Kobe Altman and head coach J.B. Bickerstaff. Hi, Logan Congrove, WZIP Akron. Uh, Kobe, when you acquired Donovan Mitchell, what was it like when you were first introduced to Donovan as the person? And, Coach, how do you think you affect the chemistry in the locker room going forward? Yeah, good question. I w- it was uh, my first introduction to him was on the phone after we traded for him. Um, so um, very good conversation. Um, I think the thing that you realize with Donovan from day one is you know, he's very, very genuine. And when I talked to him, uh, that first day, you know, minutes after the trade, he found out that we were having a, a sort of a mini camp, you know, player-led uh, workouts in, in Nashville. And he said, I'm there. You know, I want to be there. I'm excited to be with my teammates. Um, I think, you, you know, you think about the authenticity that he talks about, his teammates, the city, this opportunity. It's real. And, and, and we feel that. And then... His actions. I mean, since he's been here, um, he's had he's had a lot of fun in Cleveland. You know, whether it be showing up to a Browns game. Um, unfortunately, the Guardians have been out of town, but he's a huge baseball fan and he helps to frequent the Guardians games. Um, those are real moments and touch points, and 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 he's genuine in that. Um, so uh, we're excited, and you know, since since we've acquired him, he's been genuine and excited, and. Uh, Obviously, it's going well with, with his teammates. Yeah, and the chemistry piece uh, is noticeable. We watch him when they were playing pickup, and you could hear his voice. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we kind of have a quiet group of guys um, you know, who choose their words very wisely. But he was there. He was vocal. He was communicating. Uh, and I think that's something that's just going to bring it out of the other guys. So I think immediately he, he has an impact there. I absolutely love that Kobe Altman talked about Mitchell's excitement to join the team and how he's trying to get involved with the city of Cleveland. Mitchell could not have made a better first impression off the court, could he have, guys? Not really. I mean, he's pretty, pretty much represents everything that Cleveland is. I love that he's embracing the city, the sports teams around, you know, the Guardians. I loved his little uh, intro thing that he had against that Steelers game. I thought that was terrific. Yeah, so. it was. I really like the acquisition of him, not just on the court, but just as a guy. He just seems to really embrace the city already. Yeah, I was at the uh, Browns game he was at. Me and my brother were in the uh, end zone, like right in front of him when he did the guitar smash, and that was probably one of like the coolest things like we like we got to saw, uh, see that night. Mm-hmm. And then just it's so awesome to just hear how he's been a vocal leader already because, you know, I, as I mean, Coach Bickerstaff said, I didn't know they were a quiet group. I mean, I'm not around them every day. So it's good to see, like, a vocal presence emerge early on in his tenure in Cleveland. So I'm really excited for him. Yeah, and I'm I'm very glad that the Browns won that game because if they – if that guitar smash were to happen right before like an absolute blowout loss, that would have been a lot like the... We would have been over 2 with guitar smashes. Yeah, that would have been like Drew Carey uh, from 99 oh. when he was like, anyone who makes fun of Cleveland can finally shut up, and then yeah, we 43 lost. Like, yeah, so I'm just glad we got the win from that, and it makes the guitar smash a lot more uh, satisfying. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Next, Alex Henry had the opportunity to ask a question to Evan Mobley. Alex Henry, WZIP, you're very dominant and unique on the court and still so young. Who would you say some of your biggest inspirations in the game are? Um, uh, a lot of people, 
uh, like to compare me to Kevin Garnett and uh, people like that. Um, I feel like I take bits and, uh, bits and pieces from everybody um, that has a similar frame to me. Um, and, yeah, that's that's really what I, I, I really just learned from different players that have similar body types as me, that move as me, and um, just try to take parts of the game and add it to mine. Evan Mobley sounds like he knows what he's doing by studying players that have a similar frame to himself, including the great Kevin Garnett. What are you guys expecting from Mobley this season, and what do you want to see him build on from last year? I think he's going to be an absolutely elite player. I think he's only going to get better. We saw how good he was in his rookie year and really had a rookie of the year campaign, but unfortunately there were just too many other good rookies um, around him as well. So I expect him to improve on that and probably probably progress into an all-star, I think. I, I, I'm going to say it. I think he's going to be an all-star this year. I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. I don't know if it's year two. I think year three for sure. I think, you know, with seven footers, you kind of have to grow into that frame. Like, yeah. I look at, like, Joel Embiid as, like, a main example of that. Like, when he came in the league, he was scrawny. Mm-hmm. But now you look at him, and he is just this... He's huge. He is this muscular specimen. Yeah. And, you know, like, once Evan can grow into his body, that's when I think this team takes that next jump. I just don't know if that's this year, but I think by next year, the Cavs are going to be a real contender in the East. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm expecting more of the same from Mobley this season. He should have won the Rookie of the Year last season. It looked like he gained some muscle mass at media day. So I could see him expanding his game by becoming even more physical, which is a scary thought for other teams. Plus, we've seen the highlights from this offseason of his mid-range game. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that in action as well. Let's talk about the rotations and lineup of this team, though. And I think the biggest question mark is who starts at the three. Obviously, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jarrett Allen will be starters. One of the likely candidates for that position is Karis LeVert. Here is LeVert on Media Day speaking about his role. Um, As a basketball player, um, you kind of just want to be in a position to help the team uh, be successful, especially when you're on a good team, um, you know, like we have here. Um, I'm very confident in myself, you know, that I can succeed in whatever role I'm throwing at. You know, I've been a starter. I've came off the bench. I've, you know, I've done both um, my whole career. So, um, like I said, I'm I'm a team guy. I've always have been. So, for me, it's whatever whatever the team needs for me. Um, you know, I'll be ready to do that. I love what I heard from Levert in hearing that he's a team guy, regardless of his status as a starter or bench player. Who do you guys think should start at small forward this year for the Cavs? Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, so I know that the guy I'm going to say is probably not the most popular answer because of his offensive production, um, but I think that Isaac Okoro's defense is way too valuable for this team to uh, put. I mean, I could see him coming off the bench as well uh, to bring some defense to the bench, but I think that you know with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, uh, at guard, and then you have Isaac Okoro to solidify an already good defense. I think that will definitely open things up for him, especially on the offensive side. I think that he will um, perform a lot better than he has in years past. I think this will be the year that he kind of, I don't want to say take off and like like really shine, but I think he'll be a lot more improved on the offensive end. So I think that I would, I'd t- I would take Isaac Okoro at uh, small forward. 
See, I want to go with Dean Wade, actually, because I think mm. I don't think you can roll out with Okoro at three as your day one guy just because your one through three would be massively undersized. Garland, 6'1", uh, Mitchell, 6'3", and Okoro, 6'5". And I know you've got the two seven-footers down there, but at what point, like, what's the trade-off between height there? I think Dean Wade, he's collectively average at everything, so I don't think he necessarily hinders you in any way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I definitely think we're going to see pretty much Dean Wade, Levert, and Okoro alternate this uh, this spot almost nightly once we get in the middle of the season, depending on matchup. But day one, I would start Dean Wade. It's an interesting pick there. Personally, I think there's two options for the starter at small forward, and that's Isaac Okoro and Karis Levert. If you ask me who's the best overall player of the two, 10 times out of 10, I'm saying Levert. But with our starting rotation, we don't need another player that can score. We need a player that can defend. Garland mm-hmm. and Mitchell can score. Mobley and Allen can score in the paint at ease. And I don't think our starters need another guy who's going to crave the ball. Okoro is a perfect fit for that starting position. He's great defensively, plus Levert being our leading scorer off the bench. That sounds great to me, and you could pair him up with Kevin Love, Jetty Osman, and Ricky Rubio when he gets healthy, too. I was just going to say that, too. Uh, I think that having Karis Levert on the bench with Dean Wade, um, uh, Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, all those guys, I think that makes for a very solid bench. And I think that having Okoro starting... You know, even though he may be undersized, he is an upgrade defensively over who was starting there last year, and that was Lowry Marketing. So I think, yeah, I really like having Okoro starting here and then just kind of balancing out that defense or, or the, uh, the the bench. Yeah, I agree. Now let's talk about the expectations of this team for next season. Before we dive into it, here is veteran Kevin Love from Media Day on what the addition of Donovan Mitchell means for this team. Yeah, I mean, I think we have the uh, you know the makings of a team that could have four All Stars, right? Like we, I think people know what we're capable of now. Um, you know, if we put it together, we aren't a team that's really going to surprise anybody anymore. I think they people that have played us and, and uh, you know, coaching staffs and players from around the league know what we're about. So I think now it's just, you know, taking that next level of, of you know, maturity, knowing that um, there were some games last year that, you know, we let some, let some teams off the hook. Teams played really well against us. Of course, there's always going to be off nights, but understanding that we were – you know, right there in, in playoff contention and, you know, a team that could have been playing, um, you know, basketball, what you hope into May and, and, and into June. But I think, you know, obviously with uh, I truly believe with Donovan, you know, stepping into his role, guys getting another year under their belts, you know, having continuity within our lineup. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, I think huge for us. Speaking of Donovan Mitchell, here's the last clip we have for you from Media Day, once again from Karis LeVert, as he describes his reaction to the Donovan Mitchell trade. Yeah, I had just finished a workout. Um, I Honestly, somebody sent me Woj's tweet, and I think the first tweet that he sent didn't have any names in it, so I honestly didn't know if I was in it or not, so I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but when I found out I was still here, I was super excited. You know, I've known Donovan for a couple years now. Um, and I love his game. You know, he's one of the best players in the league, um, and he's so young, too. He has so much more to, you know, still get better at. So um, I was just looking forward to the opportunity to compete, um, to learn from him. I love playing with great players, so it's going to be fun. 
I clearly enjoyed Levert's presser, but he truly has come around as a great personality on this young Cavs team. Overall, what are your expectations for this team next season? Well, they finished with 44 wins last year, and they got really cold at the end with some really winnable games, I think. And so I expect them to be a lot more consistent throughout, and I think they can get to probably 50 wins this year. All right, Matt? I've got three main expectations for the Cavs. Win total between 48 and 52. Making the playoffs like five or above, not a play-in team, Mm -hmm. and winning a playoff series. Those are my three expectations for Cleveland this year. I agree. All right. Obviously, it's the first year with Donovan Mitchell. I'm not expecting the Cavs to compete in the NBA Finals this season, although it could certainly happen. Instead, I simply want something to build off of from last year, improve, get better, some more playoff experience for our young guys. For me, my expectations are a top four seed in the East, avoiding the play-in tournament altogether and winning at least one series in the NBA playoffs. That would sit just perfectly with me. We'll move on from the Cavs, though. And, guys, it is time for Hot Mike, where we answer all your questions on our Twitter page, at WZIP Sports, and we'll kick off Hot Mike with Logan Congrove. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a bummer, guys. Logan Congrove has the Hot Mike. He says, hey, guys, I pose this question based off your Zips football segment. What would you consider progress for the Akron Zips? I would... Progress is just, to me, the definition of progress would be just eliminating turnovers and continuing to build off of some of that really good offensive production that we've seen. Because yesterday they did score a lot of points. They looked really good. It's just a matter of not fumbling, you know, not committing stupid mistakes, staying disciplined, and, you know, actually coming down with the ball. So I think that that would be my definition of progress. Progress for me, winning some MAC games, win some games you're not supposed to. Right now you're mm-hmm. one and four on the year. You can finish there with four or five wins. I think that's a great building block for 2023. Yeah, as Coach Joe Moorhead said in his presser yesterday, he talked about minimizing the weaknesses of the team. As long as they do that, I consider that progress for the Akron Zips. And as they continue to chip away at that boulder, hopefully they will win some more games this season against some MAC opponents, like you said, Matt. Next, Cam429 has the hot mic. It's been a while since we've heard from him. He has a couple of questions here. First, favorite ice cream flavor? I believe Jake Myrna Goat asked this question a few weeks ago, so people already know my answer. It's chocolate ice cream, depending on where I'm going, different toppings for each place. Dan, I'll go to you, though. Uh, This one's tough, but I'm probably going to go with Moose Tracks. I really like Moose Tracks. Again, you stole my answer, but you're, <laughs> okay. you're right. That's the only right answer, Dan. You did it. So, All right. Good okay, job. Fine. My, my second favorite one, then. I don't know. I like Superman. Okay, Cookie does my second. So Okay. All right. At least we have something different. Yeah. Fair enough. Cam's next question. Would you rather watch a good and close game of any sport between two random teams or watch your favorite team in a blowout win? Well, I think he asked this because... Um, we were in a very well, me and someone else in this group chat where we're discussing like what's more entertaining this zips game where it was back and forth it was really close or ohio state completely dominating rutgers and i said something like what's so entertaining about seeing ohio state just absolutely dominate rutgers every single year so i would rather see a really good matchup just because you know if after a while if you're up by so much it's just like okay when is this really going to end so i would say i'd rather see two really good teams battling it out to the very end yeah i could not agree more matt what do you think look 
I, I looked at this from a Browns perspective because that's my favorite team in all sports. I've missed one Browns game since I started watching football, like as a diehard in 2012. I will watch my team lose as opposed to not watching them at all, as much as I hate to admit it. Yeah, absolutely. Next question for Cam. Thoughts on Ohio sports betting opening January of 2023. What's your first bet going to be? Well, I have no idea what my first bet's going to be but because there's going to be a, a lot's going to change uh, until then. But I really like it. I think that there's really no major downside. It's more money for the uh, economy and everything. And so, and it's just, there's just such a huge market for it. So I really like it. Uh, my first bet is not actually going to be until September of that year because I don't turn 21 until September of 2023. Hey, there you go, Matt. So my first bet is most likely going to be on either week one or week two of the 2023 NFL season. Yeah, interesting. Maybe I'll bet on the Browns going to the Super Bowl. I don't know. I think everyone does that. I think that's like yeah. everyone does that when they go to Vegas. Yeah, but I'm not a big betting kind of guy as is. So Neither am I, but still it's fun. Yeah. You see the odds for Nick Chubb to score a touchdown today in any capacity? I got... Uh, plus 110. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hop on that line yeah. if you're betting today. But yeah. I'm excited about sports betting opening January of 2023. My first bet's probably going to be involved in the MMA scene. Probably a UFC pay-per-view. I'll probably sprinkle a little bit of money here and there on a UFC card. Next question for Cam. What show slash movie that you have recently seen has been portrayed your favorite sports most accurately? Letterkenny, by far. It's, um, you know, being the PA announcer for our Zips hockey team. I mean, I've been a hockey fan for since I like, could speak pretty much. Um, but I've never actually, like, been part of a team or have been real close to, like, an actual, like, you know, aside from, like, listening to mic'd up players. But... Being down on the ice and hearing these players like just chirp with each other and seeing that with the fans and everything, it is so much like Letterkenny and how they portray hockey in uh, in Canada, like the junior level. So I'd have to go with that. So the question is, how has like a movie you've watched or a show pertained to your favorite sport? Yeah, like how is it kind of like representative? Uh, yeah. Okay, you know, I don't really watch much like current uh, TV or movies. Uh, but I will say, as someone who's picked up the game of golf and has then taught uh, my younger neighbors how to golf, Happy Gilmore is pretty accurate in the sense of, like, younger people just want to hit the ball far, whereas golf purists like, you know, your Shooter McGavins are kind of like, play the game the right way. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but it's the only thing I could come up with off the top of my head. So forgive me, Cam. Well, I don't have anything off the top of my head, so that's the real okay. no baseball <laughs> movies or anything. No, I don't Major think so, League. Man. Yeah, I guess guess I'll go with Major League. Willie Mays Hayes. I don't know, man. Next question for Cam, though. Is the baseball, basketball, or hockey season too long? Dan, I know you're a hockey fan. Is the season too long? Um... Well, as a hockey fan, I can't have enough hockey. Um, but as far as the other seasons, like from an objective standpoint, I think they are a little long. They could probably be shortened by about a month or so, especially baseball. It starts when it's freezing cold, goes on through the summer months, and it ends when it's really cold. So I'd say, yeah, I think they're a little too long. Yeah, I think baseball could probably do with about 140 games in the regular season. I think that'd pretty much be the sweet spot for it. Uh, NBA. I'd like to see it remain around like high 60s, low 70s if it were going to shrink at all. But, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a must-fix problem at the moment. Agreed. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't know anything about hockey. I don't even know how long that season is. It's about as long as the NBA season. Okay, that's fair. For me, basketball and baseball definitely could use a shorter season. Next question for Cam. Name five college football teams, not your favorite, that you believe could or should join a different conference, do a conference change. Uh, I don't know if we have the time to do five each, but one of them is, and this is another uh, conversation that I had with him actually, was I say that we kick out Rutgers from the Big Ten and put Notre Dame in there. Excuse me, Notre Lame in there. Because Notre Lame... You know, every year they're very they're very dominant until they start playing some real competition. And I think that it would benefit both the Big Ten and them for them to join because I think that will strengthen them. And it'll just be nice to see us beating them every single year, you us mean, meeting Ohio State. So you, you mean our wins against Navy and, like, Navy doesn't <laughs> count? You mean Air Force? Like we lost to Marshall, so you you mean like beating Toledo by ten isn't impressive? Well, yeah, you do make some good points. Actually, as a Notre Dame fan, I have been hammering that we need to join a conference for a while. Football is the only sport that hasn't joined a conference. Basketball and hockey play in the Big Ten. Everything else is in the ACC. Yeah, so just. Join a conference, It makes most geographical sense for them to be in the Big Ten because then they're just natural rivals with Purdue and Indiana. Right. Yeah, I agree. Last question from Cam here. Is there a difference with greatness and bestness? Example, I think Brady is the greatest QB because of his accolades and rings, but I think Manning and Rodgers are smarter and more talented athletes, the, quote, best QBs. They just don't have the rings to compete with Brady's legacy. I agree with this 100%. Sorry to cut you off there, Matt. No, you're fine. Um, I agree with him 100% because I've said this before, and I think he explained it very well. To me, greatness is about your ability mixed with your accolades, Whereas, you know, like if you're the GOAT, I mean, Tom Brady is the GOAT. There's not much debating that. But who's the BOAT, the best of all time? I think that can be up for debate. You can argue Joe Montana. You can argue Dan Marino. You can argue Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. I think there's a lot more to greatness than just rings and or, or betterness than just rings. So I think that, yeah, that there's a pretty clear difference. See, I agree with that sentiment completely, but I'm going to take it in a bit of a different direction. I think okay. when we look at like eras over time, like, I think a lot of times we put the best people in an era with Mm -hmm. all-time greats when they might not necessarily be deserving to be in that great conversation. So I think it plays both ways. I think we need to start looking at best in the same eyes as great, and I think best also has to be looked at a really fine in a really fine way, just Mm -hmm. so we're not over uh, like over stating what they did. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you're talking like you know Bill Russell and autogram and everything, right? Okay. Yeah, to me, I I like classifying it by era, like you said, Matt. But to me, I don't see a difference. Just who's better, Brady or Rodgers? You know, sure, there are different accolades for each. There's different skills and talents for each. But to me, I'm not going to argue who the boat is. It's, It's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. That's really what I'm going to consider. Next, let's go to Jake Murren, a GOAT's question. He has the hot mic. He says, is that Akron March Madness loss still hurting you guys? Not really. It didn't. I mean, I don't think it, it ever hurt. No, it was it was a little disappointing at the end seeing Enrique foul out of the game, and that kind of yeah. iced it. But and how close it was. 
I think we were more proud of it than anything because we were underdogs heading into the tournament, and then we go neck and neck with USCLA, so it doesn't really hurt anymore. Yeah, if, I, if it ever did. I agree. And Aaliyah Craig asked a question that says early predictions for Zips basketball this year. Do we win the MAC? Do we make it to March Madness again? Another question relating to Zips basketball. So, what do you guys think? I don't think it's a given that we win the MAC, but I think that we'll be right back to where we were last year. I definitely think a MAC championship appearance is a fair expectation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we have a strong chance at winning the MAC. Of course, Ali Ali is not on this team anymore, but Enrique Freeman is that dude in the MAC. And I think we will make it to March Madness so far. That's my early Master prediction so. for All Zips right. basketball. Back to Jake Murinagot, though. He says, if not talked about yet, thoughts on Tua's injury. We will get to that yep. next segment, so hold off on that thought. Next, he says, thoughts on the butt punt. That was pretty funny. I, I don't, I don't like. I think if Miami lost that game, that would be an all-time blunder. But since they won, I think that one's kind of like going to comfortably float into like the back of your mind in like a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was hysterical. I was freaking out in the living room watching that game. I was like, did you just see that? Yeah, I was going nuts during the butt punt. I think that's probably the funniest NFL clip we'll see all season long. Last question from Jake Mernigo. He says, thoughts on first take? Honestly, I think Logan Congrove is a better analyst. Well, during my training, I was taught it's not ethical to comment on the quality and content of other networks. So I'm going to plead the fifth. I'll, I'll do the same. I mean, <laughs> don't incriminate yourself. I'll do the before same. we have a real job. I'll do the same, but I'll say that I think Logan Congrove is a better analyst. And if you know what I think about Logan Congrove, then maybe you can make that assumption. <laughs> that's a really there. nice compliment, Jake. Yeah, that, that's all I'll say. We love you, Logan. Another question dealing with Logan from Mike Popovich says, "What is Congrove's favorite English Premier League team? I believe that is Liverpool. It is Liverpool, yeah, he- and I would say that Liverpool. If I had to choose, it would be mine. Number one, because I'm a big Beatles fan, and they're from there. And number two, because Fearless by Pink Floyd it ends with that you 'You'll never walk alone' chant. And to me, every time I listen to that, I just get chills. So that would be mine. But yeah, that's Logan's as well. I've never watched a Premier League game, so I'm I'm abstaining from comments. Yeah, I have not either, but Congro's favorite team is indeed Liverpool. Last two questions. One from Chris Kepler, the GM here own. at oh WZIP. Love to see him in the hot mic questions here. It says, top two sports movies of all time. Top two sports movies of I all can't, time. I can't choose two. Major League One, Major League Two. <laughs> Coach Carter, Benchwarmers. Major League... I want to say Sandlot because that's just a classic. Yeah, I'll go with that. It's a, it's a classic. All right. Last question for Hot Mike from Kelly Craig. Do we have an update there? What interest? Another update? Yeah, go ahead. Well, Minnesota just hit a, I mean, sorry, New Orleans threw a seam to Chris Olave with 11 seconds left. They're going to spike the ball, kick a 65-yard field goal to try to tie the game against Minnesota. To try to tie the game. Yes. 11 okay. seconds left. We'll keep you updated on that. Last question here from Kelly Craig, though. What interested you guys in sports media or just media in general? Well, Alex Henry was the one. Or like, This isn't my major. I'm not going into this with uh, like after college. But Alex is like, hey, you should join. I think you'd have a really fun time doing it. And I am. So, Alex, thank you for getting me into this. If I were to give my whole backstory on it, it would take way too long. So I'll just say that media in general, I've always loved making movies, like making content and everything, even from when I was little, using a cheap little camcorder. And sports, I've been a big sports fan for a long time. I've never been very athletic, so I've kind of made up for it just by following sports. So that's pretty much why I'm here. 
Yeah, my dream has always been to be a play-by-play broadcaster, but now that I'm at WZIP, I've kind of experienced the sports media uh, industry. To me, there's a lot of different avenues there, so I'm excited to get into it. And what interested me in it in the first place is Natalie Tannehill, Green High School teacher. I was in her class for newspaper because I liked her as a teacher. She exposed me to media, and the rest is history. I've loved what I've done, and I am thankful for everybody that has given me opportunities in this field thus far. That'll do it for Hot Mike, though. When we return, we'll talk about the NFL, talk about some changes to the Pro Bowl, to a tongue of Aloha's injury, Miles Garrett's car accident, and so much more. Also have our NFL pickums. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the last segment of the Best Sports Talk Show. There is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk, and I am your host. My name is Jake Murren, and I am joined by Dan Groen. How's it going, everyone? And Matt Bermuka. Good morning. Good afternoon. I don't know what time of day it is. And Matt, you've been going wild. Yes, I have during break. Yeah, so the Minnesota Vikings and New Orleans Saints are playing in London. New Orleans attempted a 61-yard field goal to tie and send it to overtime. Kicker Will Lutz had the leg. It went off the left upright, doinked off the left upright, down to the bottom crossbar, spun around off the bottom crossbar, and just trickled out of the goalpost. No good. Minnesota wins. Man. That is one wild way to end a football game in London. Hopefully that crowd enjoyed that. Other topics in the NFL, though, announced on Monday, the NFL is replacing the traditional Pro Bowl that was created in 1951 with week-long skills competitions and a flag football game called the Pro Bowl Games. What are you guys' thoughts on that? See, if no one cared about the game itself, why do they think people are going to care about these skills competitions? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. They need to replace the Pro Bowl game with a mascots versus kids game. <laughs> Those are always so entertaining to watch. To me, they're the most entertaining form of uh, yeah. halftime entertainment, really, or at least one of the top ones. So I think they should replace it with that rather than these stupid skills competitions that no one's going to watch. Yeah, at the uh, Brown-Steelers game, they did a uh, mascot versus kids halftime thing. <laughs> yes. uh, my brother and I were going absolutely uh, insane during it because the uh, Columbus Crew mascot... Uh, put a kid into the ground. It was not good for that child's cranium. <laughs> I saw um, that. Imagine um, getting CTE from a mascot. There would be plenty of parents that would sign their kids up for that. I promise <laughs> you that. But uh, actually, Dan, I like the Pro Bowl games. I like. I watch the dodgeball competition. I watch the quarterback skills challenges. So I kind of like it, and I want to see something in there specifically for the linemen, too, just because we got to give the big boys some love. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't say that nobody cares about them because... There's a reason they didn't get rid of those and they're expanding them, but still, it's not really in my personal taste. Yeah, the Pro Bowl definitely needed some changes. I think that if the skills competitions are well-promoted, they can be a big success. Also, it depends on what skills competitions they have because I'd like them to add even more. Like you said, Matt, a lineman skill competition could be pretty entertaining. And then a flag football game. Sure, that, I guess, could be better than an original Pro Bowl if players actually try, knowing that it's a non-contact game. Now let's talk about Thursday night football as the Bengals won 27-15 over the Dolphins, but the biggest headline of this game was Tua Tungavaloa 
and his injury sustained in the game. Last Sunday, he was injured against the Bills. It was written off as a back injury, yet everyone knew something was wrong with his head. Tua came back into that game against Buffalo, was studied daily and cleared to play against Cincinnati, and everyone saw what happened. He went down in the second quarter against the Bengals, displayed a response correlated with brain damage, was stretchered off, transported to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, and thankfully he had movement in his extremities. Tua released a statement on Friday thanking fans for their support, but most importantly he said he was feeling much better. Any thoughts on the whole incident, gentlemen? Well, I think it's important to say I I don't like he he was released from the hospital that night. He flew back with the team. But yeah, uh I think that is some medical malpractice. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the all the intricacies of being a doctor, but again, uh, that Buffalo game after he got that first hit, you don't fall down like you don't lose balance because you know you have a sore back. That that's mm-hmm. neurological, and you know uh, I've had concussions. You know sometimes they take a couple like symptoms take a couple of days to present themselves, but at the same time, I mean you have to be trained to look for that, and I think Miami did too a really really awfully there and mm-hmm. you know it's you know damned if you do damned if you don't if he didn't get hurt we're not talking about it and we're not talking about the buffalo incident anymore but what happened happened and that could result in some very permanent damage for him so i really hope he's fine mentally physically emotionally whatever in any other way yeah i think this is going to be like another colt mccoy type of situation where it's going to be about systemic change with it. It's not I don't even think it's necessarily the Dolphins as a whole. I think it's the the independent medical trainers who evaluated him, not just this last week but the previous week when he was kind of wobbling around off of that one hit. I think that just goes to show that there needs to be a lot of change to whatever the concussion protocol is right now because if that wasn't uh, unless there was some sort of actual malpractice where they weren't following protocol, then there's definitely it should be some systemic change to that just to prevent that from happening because if it's just a simple test saying like you know what's your name what state are you in whatever right you know um, if he's wobbling around then just take him out it, it shouldn't be like oh well he looked like he concussed but he passed the test so i guess he's good yeah thankfully action has been taken the nflpa fired the independent doctor who was an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant involved in clearing Tua's return last Sunday against the Bills after it was found that he made several mistakes. And the NFLPA and NFL also issued a statement yesterday saying that concussion protocol will undergo changes in the upcoming days. So you love to see that at least something positive can be taken out of this horrific scene that we saw on Thursday night. Yeah. Other injuries sustained in the NFL, though, one to our very own Miles Garrett. Garrett was driving his Porsche last Monday, swerved off the road, hit a fire hydrant, and flipped multiple times, according to Ohio State Highway Patrol. He suffered a left shoulder sprain, right bicep strain, as well as many lacerations. He told reporters that he was feeling better, and he's blessed to live another day. What do you guys make of both the accident and ultimately the decision for him not to play today? He is very lucky to only have those minor injuries. I think that he could have been a lot more severely injured, and I'm just glad that he's not playing today because it's the Falcons. I'm not saying it's a automatic win, but to have him rest up against the Falcons would be much more ideal and then have him ready for the Chargers next week, if even will be available, because I saw that uh, he might that might 
impact him for the next two to four weeks. So yeah, Adam Schefter glad. reported this morning that the shoulder injury suffered in the crash is expected to hinder his ability to play for the next two to four weeks. Yeah, so I'm just hoping this isn't going to follow him all season, kind of like what COVID did to him mm-hmm. a couple seasons ago. Um, so yeah, I'm just glad he's resting and that he's not more hurt than he really is. Yeah, he's lucky to be alive. I mean, I don't want to really comment on anyone's driving habits or anything, but, I mean, I was on the roads Monday night. I was coming home from uh, Cleveland. It was really bad conditions, really mm-hmm. scary to drive in. I can't imagine, you know, freelancing with your Porsche. And I believe and I believe I was on that road a couple days later heading up to my internship in Medina. And yeah. that road, there's a lot of speed changes there. It, and it, 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 yeah, it was like 35 one second, 55 the next. Yeah. It's really windy, very uh, backwoodsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, in the AC joint, it's not necessarily that he's out two to four weeks. I think they might, he might be good next week if they just give him a quarter zone injection. But I mean, I'm not sure. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll play it by ear with him. But yeah. Yeah. I, I think the call to keep him out of this game is definitely the right call. I don't think he's physically or even mentally ready to play football right now. Um, sure, we can talk about the physical impacts of this car crash, but mentally too. You got to know that's definitely sticking with him as the reports came out that his car flipped a couple of times. Yeah. Definitely scary, and thankfully he is okay and only suffered minor injuries, like you said, Dan. Let's talk about Browns Falcons, though, and let's preview week four against the Falcons that is going to start in just 15 minutes. And let's do a bit of an over under game. You know, I like to do an over under game with you guys. Right. First, Cordero Patterson over under 125 rushing yards. Under. I'm going under because our run defense has been really good. Even without Miles Garrett, I think they'll hold up. Last week, he ran for 141 yards and a touchdown. I think their offense runs through Patterson today. I'm going to go with the over. Nick Chubb yeah. runs for over under 115 yards. Under. I'm going under, too, but it's going to be like 110, 111. It's going to be the Chubb Hunt show with whoever, if he, uh, with Ford or Johnson, depending on who's inactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chubb leads the league in rushing yards. Last week, he ran for 113 yards. I like him to surpass that 115 mark. I'm going to go with the over as well. Marcus Mariota throws for over under 200 yards. Ooh, I want to say over, but not by a lot. I'm going under. He's thrown for over 200 in nearly every game this season so far, coming four yards short of that mark in Week 2 against the Rams. I like the over today against the Browns. Next up, Jacoby Brissett throws for over under 220 yards. I'm going to say under, but it's going to be close. Yeah, this one's tough because the that Falcon secondary is actually pretty talented when you look at it. Oh, so very much so. I'm, I'm going to go under. I think this is going to be a run-heavy game. If he threw for over 220 yards in both the Jets and Steelers game, I expect a bit of a regression today. I'm going to go with the under. Next up, Marcus Mariota over under a half of a fumble lost. He's lost a fumble in every game this year so far. You know, If this was turnovers as a whole, I would be hammering the over. If it's just fumbles, I, I'm going to take the under. I'm going to play it safe. I think that without Miles Garrett and Clowney, I would have to go with the under. Yeah, I'm going to go with the under as well, Dan, for that exact reason. Last one, Cade York misses over under a half of an extra point. Of course, we know he missed the extra points in each of the last two games. This hurts me to ask, but over under a half of an extra point for Cade York today. This is really cynical. This is really mean. (laughs) What do you want me to say? This is really, you don't even have to ask it. (laughs) 
I'm, over gonna, under. I'm under. Go with, okay. Under. Yeah, I'm going with under as well because they're playing indoors. They're not playing in a very windy Cleveland Browns stadium. They're in Atlanta. I don't think he misses anything. Yeah, I'm going to go with under as well. I expect this to be a Cade York bounce back game. Mm-hmm. That does it for our over unders. Let's get to our NFL pickums. We'll start with the one o'clock slate of games. The Seahawks visiting the Lions, a pair of one and two teams. Who do you guys like? I will take Detroit, and I will take Detroit comfortably. Yeah, I'm going with Detroit as well on this one. I'm actually going with the Seahawks. The Lions are banked up. I believe DeAndre Swift, Amon Ross, St. Brown are both out. I like the Seattle Seahawks in this game on the road. Next up, another pair of one and two teams. The Jets go on the road to play Pittsburgh. Zach Wilson's back. Pittsburgh scored all. Pittsburgh has only scored four offensive touchdowns this year. I'm going to do it. I think Mormon Mahomes beats the Steelers in his return. That's very interesting because I also have the Jets beating the Steelers yes, as well. Dan. Yes, I think Zach Wilson returning makes the Jets worse. I'm going with the Steelers. Next up, Giants hosting the Bears. Do I have to pick a winner of this game? You do. I'm going Giants in this I one. Get, who's the home team? The Giants? The New Giants. Yep. Yeah, but their starting wide receiver is not even... Oh, they don't... Ha- that game's going to be unwatchable. I'll take the Bears. Saquon Barkley, I'm going with the Giants. Next up, Titans at Colts. I'll take Indy, but I don't like either team, really. I don't trust either. Yeah, I, I had a difficult time picking one, but I think I'm going to go with the Colts because they're just a better overall team, and they're going to be at home as well. Yeah, Indy is coming off of that big win over the Chiefs. I think this game comes down to who can run the ball better, and I expect that to be Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. I'll go with the Colts. Next up, Chargers going on the road to play the 0-2-1 Houston Texans. This would have to be the Chargers' bounce-back game, so I'm going with Chargers easily. If the Chargers can just walk out of this game alive, that's another win in itself, but I think the Chargers are too talented to lose this game. Yeah, Um, I think the Texans will keep it close because of the injuries for the L.A. Chargers, but I'm going to go with the Chargers pretty much because of what you said, Matt. They're just simply more talented. Next up, Commanders on the road taking on the Cowboys. Oh, boy. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick Carson Wentz to upset Cooper Rush. Interesting. I've been really impressed with Cooper Rush this year, and I think he's not going to slow down against the commander, so I'm taking Dallas. I am in agreement with Matt here. Wow. I thought this was going to be my hot pick of the week. Wow, all right. Washington is coming Mm -hmm. off of some bad losses against the Lions and the Eagles, but I expect them to rebound against Cooper Rush and the Cowboys today. Next up, Jaguars going on the road to play the undefeated Eagles. You know, this game, I saw some weather reports. This is going to be another monsoon-like game, similar to the uh, Bears-Niners week one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick the Jacksonville Jaguars because Doug Peterson has his own statue outside of that Eagle Stadium. I think he's going to walk in there and remind everyone he still owns Lincoln Financial Field. Interesting, because I have the Eagles improving to 4-0 on the season. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Last week... The SBT crew was dismissive of the Jaguars. Of course, we know what happened. Jacksonville beat the L.A. Chargers. I think this game is going to be competitive, but I'm going with the Eagles. Our last 1 o'clock game, the Bills and the Ravens. This game should be Sunday night football, but it's not. It's 1 p.m. I think Buffalo wants to get that bounce-back victory after last week's heartbreaker to Miami, so give me Buffalo. It's going to be an absolute shootout here, and I'll have to agree with all the points that you said, Matt. I think that this is the bounce-back game for them, so I'm going to take Buffalo on the road. 
All right. I also am going with Buffalo on the road. It should have been Sunday night football, maybe even Monday night football. Any primetime game, not 1 right, p.m. Not right. 1 p.m. This is like two league Anything MVPs. but the Buccaneers and Tom Brady playing for the millionth time. This is two MVPs. Yep, we get Bills, Ravens in the 1 o'clock hour. I'm going to go with the Bills. Let's go to 425. Cardinals on the road taking on Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers. The fact that this is the 4 p.m. game over the Bills and the Ravens game, I can't stress enough how bad of a choice that is. But this game, uh, I trust Kyler Murray more. Give me the Cardinals on the road. I agree. I'm going with Cardinals here. Um, He's the better of both Oklahoma quarterbacks, so I'm taking Kyler Murray. Yeah, Arizona's only win thus far came against the Raiders in that comeback victory, but the Cardinals haven't really had an impressive win yet this season. I expect them to get that first impressive victory of the year today against the Panthers. I'm going with Arizona to get it done. Next up, Broncos going on the road to take on the winless Las Vegas Raiders. I'm going to say this is the week the Raiders get their first win of the season. I think Denver has too many issues mm-hmm. that have been you know kind of looked over because they've played so non some non so talented teams i think the raiders are too talented to allow denver to get away with those mistakes i thought i was the only one who's going to choose the raiders as well but that is my upset of the week pretty much for all the reasons you said well dan all of us are going with the raiders all right then. i expect the raiders <laughs> to get their first win and if uh you're listening, the jeff sorry yeah not sorry yeah. broncos country that's right you're not gonna ride yeah <laughs> I mean, the offense is just looking stagnant. The defense is looking good for the Broncos, but I do expect the Raiders to win at home. Last 425 game, Patriots going on the road. It's a player Packers, Dan. Who do you like? Oh, Packers easily because the Patriots are going to be without Mac Jones. Brian Hoyer. Brian They're going to be with Cleveland Browns legend Brian Hoyer, also like 20-time Patriot. I don't know how long he's been there. Seems like forever, on and off again for like the millionth time, but... I'm taking Packers easily here at Lambeau. The real question is, does Brian, does Brian Hoyer lead a scoring drive? Because I don't <laughs> think this is going to bow too uh, too kindly to uh, New England. No. So I'll take the Packers, and I think we might find the first mercy rule in NFL history today. <laughs> yeah, I'm confident in taking the Packers as well. Sunday night football, the Buccaneers host the Chiefs. Ooh, I'm going with the Chiefs in this one. I'll take Tampa Bay. I'll take Tampa Bay. All right. I'm going to take Tampa Bay. I think they're going to play very hard, especially with what's going on in Florida right now. And a win for them, I think, would mean a lot for the state of Florida and Tampa Bay region. I'm going to go with the Buccaneers beating the Chiefs. Now for our most important picks. Of course, we track these picks on our social media, on Twitter, at WZIP Sports. You can follow along there. And honestly, everybody's doing pretty terrible so far. Yeah. I think there's like a three-way tie. There's a three-way tie at three and three. Do you have the standings in front of you by chance? I don't in front of me. I'm one and five. Do you know what I am? I think I'm either two and four or three and three. I believe you're three and three. All right. Tied for first. Yeah, I, I, like, I know I have less than three, so I'm not doing too hot. But as long as I'm not last place, I really don't care. Yeah, you'll see the whole department's picks at 1 o'clock. But right now, Monday Night Football, Rams on the road to play the 49ers. Who do you like? I forget who I picked in the group chat, so I'm going <laughs> to say the San Francisco 49ers. That is because, who you picked. Okay, that sounds, about, that sounds like Matt. Uh, yeah, I'm taking San Francisco over L.A. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really tough one as well, but... I've liked Shanahan's offense a lot more. Uh, the Rams, even even though they have a better record, I feel like they're struggling a little bit more than 
uh, they have in uh, last year. So I'm going to take the 49ers here on the or at home at Levi Stadium. Yeah, I understand that Sean McVay's Achilles heel has been Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, excuse me, and the 49ers. But I think Jimmy G hasn't gotten up to speed quite yet, and the Rams certainly have the talent to win this game. I'm going to go with the LA Rams here, and lastly, and most importantly, kicking off in just under five minutes, Browns at Falcons. Who do you guys like? Browns by a billion, baby. That's right. I'm actually going to go Browns by a trillion. Browns by a trillion. You're going to pick Atlanta, and you're going to be like one and eight on the pickums, aren't you? I'm (laughs) going with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be high scoring, but I am going to go with the Browns. And there was one person in our department that picked the Falcons. I wonder who that that was. Was that Casey? I don't know. I don't know. I do know, but they have to wait and see. I could just go scroll up in the group chat, but. I mean, you're going to have to scroll a while. But no, it's it's going three and a half minutes. It'll post, and okay. people will will All see right. Right. who picked the Falcons, and if they're right. I mean, my goodness, they've narrowed down to two people, and I think I know who it is. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna go, go go with the Browns, and that will do it for our NFL pickums, and that will do it for the first edition of Sports Power Talk in October. We talked about college football with the Akron Zips, the Guardians AL Central celebration with what their realistic postseason ex- expectations should be. Go to our Twitter account and vote in Around the Rue right now. The Cavs by looking at Media Day and, of course, all things NFL with Week 4 kicking off here shortly. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Well, uh, before we leave, I want to plug the Akron Zips hockey team. They are playing at home at Center Ice Sports Complex in Jackson Township, right by the Akron Canton Airport. Uh, they are playing this Friday at 8.40 is when the puck drop will be. They are playing, uh, I believe, the IUP Crimson Hawks. So please be there. Uh, we need a lot of people there. I was very impressed with the fans that showed up last uh, a couple weeks ago now, actually. Um, so, yeah, be there and be there or be square. That's all I can say. Wonderful. Uh, I'm going to plug Jordan Elliott. He's starting at a defensive tackle today for the Cleveland Browns. I think that game is pretty much going to come down to his performance. You might not see a lot on the stat sheet, but when PFF grades come out Monday morning and he's got a high grade or a low grade, that'll determine how that game went. All right. For me, I couldn't be a bigger fan of the Guardians right now, and I wish this young, passionate, and exciting team the best of luck in the 2022 MLB playoffs. It will be a very exciting show next Sunday. I hope everyone enjoys week four of the NFL. And if you're looking for more WZIP sports content, then check out both of our podcasts. It was International Podcast Day last Friday, so spread the word for both SPT Rewind and SPT Overtime. An old series will be renewed tomorrow for SPT Overtime. That's right. That I know will excite many people. Lastly, check us out on Twitter at WZIP Sports. Joining me on today's show were... Dan Groen. And Matt Permuka. My name is Jake Murren. I'll be here next week, but not in the same chair. You'll have to wait and see who's hosting next week's show until later on this week. Until then, be kind, and WZIP Sports will be back next week, same time and place, for more Sports Power Talk on 881 WZIP.